What's up, everybody? What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Music Maniacs with Side After Dark. We're Side After Dark. I'm Dan Berg. I'm Steve Graffiti. And we're joined today by a very special guest, the very funny Alex Payne. Oh, man. Do you prefer Alex or Alexander, just so we know? Uh, Either, whichever one gets me paid more. <laughs> All right. I'll go with Alexander. It's more syllables, so it it's is. like more time, you know what I mean? Then I think you get paid per syllable. And there's a more famous guy, director with that name. So if people think I'm him, they will fly me out to places and do things for me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to click on this podcast and be like, wait a minute. Yeah, I swear to God. Yeah. I'm not even really? joking. Every Oscar season, I get invited to do some TV show. Get out of here. Look up Alexander Payne if you think I'm joking. Have you ever just done it and been like, no. Hey, you guys call me. I'm here. Like, what's the problem? No, I don't want to do that. That's just like, because then I get there. It's like, how do I get back? Yeah. I don't know yeah. if they feel, they right, give right. me a back and forth, but yeah, there's a lot of them actually. They'd be like, yo, you just fucking catfished us. You think we're going to fly you I'm back? Like, well, my name is Alexander Payne. I do direct things. <laughs> you did invite me. You did invite me. You're like, I don't see what the problem is. You didn't do the research. <laughs> it's all your fault. Yeah. Oh, shit. So what's going on, man? Um, nothing much. I told, uh, I was looking, I did research yesterday. All right. Because I watched Natan's podcast again. And then you messaged me and you were like, um, hey, uh, you know, do you have anything planned? And I was like, oh, crap. No, I don't. And so I was like thinking about some stuff and I stayed in. It All right. Rainy. Mm -hmm. I think I stayed up to like 2, 230. Oh, shit. Yeah. Dedication over I here. I know, right? Right? Oh, man. We're ready. For you guys? Yeah. We come on. Music in. Go way back. I we're back. Know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Y'all are coming back, right? I just saw the Live at the Inn. Live right? at the Inn is happening Friday. Yeah, this will be out Wednesday, so we can actually promote shit on time. This, oh, this, <laughs> yeah. holy smokes. Yeah, so okay. Friday, uh, what date is that? It's the 18th. Friday, Friday the 18th. 18th West Go Forth. to the music in. 164 West 4th? Or 163 West 4th? Yeah. yeah. One of those. Yeah, right there. It's yeah. there, right music off of 6th Avenue. You can't yeah. miss it. Just keep going down. Keep going west. <laughs> Go all the way down. Um, <laughs> I got to pay a bill that day. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> I totally would have forgot. You should wait, wait till oh, your shit. bills get at least one year one year old, and then send the person you owe money happy birthday card. <laughs> Does that usually work out for you? No. <laughs> hey, it's worth a shot, right? Yeah, but that's future Alex's problems. You know what I mean? Oh. Alex now doesn't have those problems. Present Alex doesn't have to worry about that. No. Uh. Uh. Oh my gosh, you're like the first person I met that does that. Like, um, I'll do stuff from like right, like 20 minutes later, we'll have something, be like, oh man, I'm so glad I did that, and I'll be like, thanks, Sifa of the past. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Okay. I do that to my high self sometimes. Your high self? <laughs> yeah. Like I'll buy like an extra cookie. I'll be like, this would be great for when I'm high later. Okay. You know what I mean? It's like a present to my future self after I smoked a joint. I just usually do bad things to future self. <laughs> like, you know how, like, you get in a car and then your, ca your car is down to E? And you're like, that's not my problem. That's Alex in the future's problem. <laughs> He's got to feel that. Yeah, yeah, like, you know what I mean? Or, like, you know, when you used to do your homework or whatever early in the morning, you're like, I'm going to watch wrestling tonight, but... You know, yo, it's the Royal Rumble tonight, bro. I don't got to worry <laughs> yeah. about social studies. That's somebody else's problem tomorrow. Oh my god, social studies! I haven't heard that in forever. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's like grade school. Well, I know, um, Dave, you have notes. Oh no, that's this exciting. isn't this oh. isn't notes. This is a uh, I was, I've been reworking some of my jokes, and I've been. Uh, you ever heard of the was it the Dada poems or whatever they are? Only yeah. Dada art, but not poems. Yeah, but they do it too with poems, okay. and I've been taking my jokes and. Redoing them Dada style. Read yeah. it now. Read them now. You really want to read? You really no, want to see? I don't okay. know. If you don't want to share them, I mean, don't I'm kind of curious what like curious, the Dada versus the regular joke is. You know what I mean? Like, 
You I mean, you don't have the, to. You want to hear the regular joke first, and then the Dada version? Yeah. yeah, let's do. If you're cool with it. Um, no, I don't mind. Um, so the regular joke is, uh, I get anxious around a lot of people, and I, I bite my nails. I bite my nails so much that I know what wine goes with them. <laughs> right. So the Dada version is goes so I I'm nails that them much. <laughs> With bite anxious, my no wine, I what? Um, and then the next one, which is the one I keep working on, rewriting it in Dada version, is uh, you ever been around someone so negative you can't even enjoy your own depression? <laughs> and then the reverse that I did last night, which is been negative, you ever, ever enjoy, oh no, you even ever enjoy, you can't, so you someone own depression around. And then I reworked it, which is, you know, been negative? You ever? Even enjoy? Someone can't own depression. So you around? <laughs> then I reworked it one more time and it goes, ever been negative? Enjoy. You can't own depression. So you around? So So it's just like deconstructing. Yeah. It's deconstructing it and deconstructing it and My like, you know. My doing flips trying to like. That's a cool exercise. Right, yeah. I kind of want to do that with a song. Or, yeah. You should, honestly. Uh, mm -hmm. That reason I got into it was because of uh, Kurt Cobain, musician. And oh, the really? He got into it was because of William S. Burroughs. So, yeah. Whoa. I like take a lot from musicians. Mm. Quite a bit. Is it wasn't William Burroughs the one that said um, something about the doors of perception, or was that the, some other guy? I'm not gonna quote that on that. You know what I'm talking about? I remember, but I know the book. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out. Like Aldous Huxley quoted this other guy that said um, when, that the doors named themselves after this quote that once the doors of perception are cleansed, then humans can see the world as it is, which is infinite. That sounds like Burroughs, yeah. Yeah, That's I think him. it was. I'm gonna go with that. He's a big, yeah, big into magic and all that types of stuff, and uh -huh. there is no accidents, and you know. These are just windows into what is going to happen in the future and stuff. You're talking about the good kind of magic or like the Crowley kind of magic? Uh, some would say <laughs> that there is no bad kind of magic. That's oh, just your shit. perception of it. Well, I say there's no good kind of magic. Oh, okay. <laughs> mm. Should we get a magician on soon? We should. What about black girl magic, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of that. We got to get a, ma a magician on, just have debates. I used to do magic when I was younger. Did you? Yeah, I used to. I got a set, did the rings and the cars, and I was never really great at it. And then I was like, all right. But I, yeah, I used to do it when I was a kid, up to like 14, I think. Did You're, they want you to do it? Did the kids say, like, let's do it? Or was it like a family in the house? I think I wanted it. And I asked my mom to get it for me for Christmas. Yeah. And I got into magic for like a little bit. And then I realized how hard... Again, how much you have to practice. Yeah. Same thing with music. I used to play the clarinet. And then my dad was like, let me hear something. And then I played and I never played again after that. Oh, <laughs> man. So you're like, uh, your dad was like Nas's dad. I think Nas yeah. picked up what? Like the trombone or something like that? What He picked up trumpet, the trumpet. trumpet. The, yeah, trumpet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the trumpet is so hard to play. But I mean, I would love to play. I would love to buy a trumpet and just fiddle around with one. I like music. Mm -hmm. I appreciate music. Um, big inspiration for me. It's music. Mm -hmm. um, it's all right. Music's kind of cool. Certain music, not all music. You know, I do hate, I'm not gonna lie, I hate certain music, you know. Like, uh, I was in love with that Dua Lipa song. Uh, what is it? The one, Levitating? The Levitating. And then yeah. I found out she stole the rhythm section. Yeah. And I was like, man, 
That's the one pop song I liked and just had to go and ruin it. But I'm glad that those people get paid. So, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I like really good musicians. Yeah. Like and Maybe not even, I would say Marvin Gaye. Yeah. I forget the name of that song, but it's the one. I think it's the trumpet on Come Live With Me. Okay. Or whatever it is. And he has that thing where he makes like the alien noise like, ooh. And he does it with the music. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm getting very specific now. I'm like, no, it's cool. That's uh, what we do. We're music maniacs in this podcast, bro. Man was a genius. He was, and I think he said he learned that from Barry Gordy. That's the guy from Motown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, He said he learned how to become like appreciate musicianship with because of Barry Gordy. Um, Music. Oh, Paul Simon. I mean, that's just a. No one's ever accused Paul Simon of cultural appropriation, mm-hmm. and that's because of how good he is. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a Jewish guy. Like, I think the first album, I don't like Simon and Garfunkel, so I know I'm going to get a lot of hate, but I hate them. You don't <laughs> fuck with Garfunkel, bro? I don't fuck with... He was, he was holding <laughs> Simon back, and you know what? Good for you, Simon. You dropped that dead weight, <laughs> and you let it go beneath the, that bridge under trouble that's water. Right, that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, but the uh, Mother and Son Reunion, that's a reggae song. Yeah. That's a Jewish guy doing a reggae song in like, was it 60, 70, something like that? Where you're like, come on, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, that whole album of Graceland, that's African music. Yeah, that one, that was like, um, Call Me Out. That yeah, one Call Me South Out. That one African uh, boot people in it. He got me into the groove with that yeah. one. I love that one. Gum boots, uh, diamonds on the soles of her feet. I wouldn't go up. She's a rich boy, whatever. She don't try to hide it. Got diamonds on it. It's like a wouldn't go up. People doing that, you're like, no one's ever been like, man, Paul Simon, you out here stealing black people's music. It's like, because he does have a deep appreciation for it. Well, I feel like with, with all of, like, <laughs> any art, like, the better you are, the more you can get away with, right? I mean, we were talking yeah. about our first podcast we ever did was on Led Zeppelin. We were talking about fucking Jimmy Page with, like, these... 14 year old girls he was with that everybody knows about and nobody really gives a shit apparently well he's a <laughs> it's a rock star that's what it is like if you're in the rock star realm they're like yeah you're supposed to be weird and do crazy crap like that yeah and they didn't really get away with stealing the music they kind of got yeah they were able to steal it but at the same time people are like you stole that yeah like how the hell do you know what a levy is and you live in <laughs> England yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that need no levy yeah told me to weep and moan you're like I've been to England and ain't nobody weeping and moaning out here you guys keep it all on the inside cause you're repressed he's so. moaning by the Shire it's oh there it is the Shire Blackberry Pond or all those weird names that they have which are cool over there in England I think you do? You like? You do I like the English names of places, like something for Shire and blah, blah. Like, those words sound so interesting. It makes you feel like you're in some type of, like, farmland when you hear those words. You know, it's not like Great Jones Street. You know what I mean? It's like, you know. I think a lot of our names are stolen from. Yeah, so of course some England? of them, but like like the something for Shire and the oh the, Cheshire Square. And yeah, and it's just like Farringdon Road. It sounds very it has a mystical kind of quality yeah, to it. Very storybookish, you know, and like the setup. If you like look at Robert Plant's like his home and stuff like that, the farmhouse, and you're just like, geez, okay, well this is where the words come from. Like, yeah, I feel like that's the only reason uh, Lord of the Rings was interesting because it was all Shire and shit. Like if it was in America, it'd be like, yeah, you got to go to Kansas City and go get the ring. <laughs> like that's not as interesting. Twenty miles to Kansas. 
Kansas City. You know what I mean? If it was Kansas, he'd be like, ah, you know what? We're good. I'm just going to keep it. I'm not even going to Kansas, bro. I kind of like this rig. It feels good. Yeah. I don't got to destroy this. And he wouldn't, he, you know, put around his neck with like 12 other pieces of bling. Exactly. <laughs> Greed is good. Yeah. Over here. Mm. Yeah, man. Yeah. So we had um, Natan, your roommate and another comedian on last time. Mm-hmm. And he was telling us about your um, intense love, uh, respect, and admiration for... So for Jack Harlow, can we talk about that a little more? I hate Jack Harlow. <laughs> I hate Jack Harlow with a passion. Normally, I'm not about hating on people, but I do hate Jack Harlow. Um, I hope all the bad things in life happen to him <laughs> and his music. And this is this is signifying like I feel like the death of rap is like they couldn't make G Easy stick, and then they popped like another white boy into a machine, and it was like Jack Harlow. That's who we coming out with. Got you. And then when he he doesn't stick, there'll be another one coming around. Yeah. And I'm like, this is crazy that this dude is like getting this push because no one's really. I know no one's walking around being like I'm a big Jack Harlow fan. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. We really had a long conversation about that when Tom was here about like how the labels just like decide like okay this is who we're pushing yeah and it's oh, like if the people if the people push. don't act like if the the actual people don't really fuck with you you can only go so far they can only push you so far you know what I mean and we we talk about that all the time yeah they'll just replay it over and over again and I find people now saying that too it's like oh I didn't really like the song I, maybe I need to hear it a couple more times you know to really get into it and that's what they're doing with music now and I'm just like how is that possible you don't like it yeah, but- brain said no <laughs> That's the first what, time. People but other like, people like it, so maybe I should like it too. Yeah, but then none of the other people actually like it, except five people on Twitter, maybe. Mm-hmm. You need and that's kind of how it goes. Hypnotized into thinking something's cool. Mm-hmm. And people are okay with that. They're like, yeah, just brainwash me a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Please, you know, I don't want to think differently than other people. And I respect that. I do. I honestly do. Because the, the opposite is to dislike Jack Harlow. And then everyone was like, man, you a hater. And you're like, yeah, you're right. I am. You got me. Yeah. (laughs) This is how I exist. I do have people that I hate on and I don't enjoy. And Jack Harlow's number one. (laughs) Or Jack. At the top of the list. So, okay. So who do you want to talk about um, that you love? Like, we were always talking about Marvin, but you said last, you were thinking about things like, what's what's the first one you want to bring up? Because I'm ready to talk about any kind of music. Like, Uh, let's go for it. The first one that I would bring up is, well, I guess we talked about Paul Simon a little bit. And then, you know what? I don't want to bring, I probably shouldn't bring this person up because I'm not a huge fan of all their music, but I can't stop listening to the songs. It's not even like a specific artist, but I like the songs that do three songs in one. Mm. Does this make sense? Like, uh, I, I keep listening to Happiness is a Warm Gun oh, I by see the saying. Beatles. And then I keep listening to Paranoid Android by Radiohead mm-hmm. and I can't remember the other song but those two are like on constant play before I when I get on the train before I go up to go do stand up those are the two songs that I listen to the most and then maybe John Lennon's I got a couple of his solo songs that I keep playing over in my head and you know would I, you put uh, Bohemian Rhapsody in that category of Bohemian Rhapsody's songs? in yeah, that yeah, cat- yeah. I mean that's probably the best version yeah, yeah, yeah. of out of anything um, out of all those songs but the other two I enjoy more right because I don't get lost in it like Bohemian Rhapsody takes me there every time yeah where I forget like oh yeah this guy someone built this song 
But the other three, I can kind of see the parts a little bit better. So it's like a watch where you can see the insides. It's like, I want to see the guts. But, right, but he, you right, know, Freddie right. Mercury was like, that was like, you know what I mean? He's the reason sometimes I think God had to be gay. <laughs> <laughs> like when I see Freddie Mercury, I was like, no doubt God was gay. Because that's Jesus. That motherfucker. Is, oh, excuse me. Can I, can I curse? I don't know. No, nah, there's no fucking way you can curse. Okay, all right, my bad. But I'm like, you know what I mean? You see someone so talented and you're like, man, this one, come on, man. You gonna sit here and tell me like the Bible said not Adam and Steve? Did you meet? Did you see Freddie Mercury? You ever see this guy? <laughs> did yeah, you see yeah. him? All right. Anyways, so those two songs. Yeah, well, that's interesting. That's like a whole other art form of like taking these things that are like completely different and then making them together, but they still fit together. You know yeah. what I mean? It's almost like each song becomes a different puzzle piece. You know what I mean? Instead of just like having one song like like one thing throughout. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like having those things actually fit and not sound just like random. I think the beginning of happiness is a warm gun he has that part where he's like the it almost sounds like a rap song if you read it out loud where it's like the something hobnail standing on or some some don't i know you're talking you know about, what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, the yeah. man sophisticated busy working overtime and then it stops to go and then that i'm going down because yeah and then the harmonies come in yeah and then it becomes kind of like a doo-wop song at the end happiness yeah. is a warm Ooh, gun and then it's like I mean, he wrote that song, and it's also ironic that he was shot. But it's like, kind of like you know, that's to me that's such an amazing thing. And I remember hearing like I didn't listen to the Beatles till I was grown, so I didn't know any of their music. I just kind of got bored one day, and I was like, I think I'm just gonna listen to the Beatles music because everyone says they're good. The Beatles, <laughs> music for bored people. Honestly, you know. I had always heard they were the ultimate culture vultures, so I kind of stayed away from them, which is ironic because my mom loves Elvis. Shout out to Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up liking Elvis. I didn't know anything about the You know, Elvis didn't like the Beatles, so it was like, you know, we were Elvis household. And then I finally started listening to them, and when I heard that song, I was like, what is this? Because this is like where it's at. And I get why they broke up. Like when I heard that song, I was like, yeah, you can't do this with like other people around you all the time mm -hmm. you got to be alone and be like i want to write a, a love song about a gun and everyone was like what the fuck are you talking about he's like you haven't been to america you haven't <laughs> been there you don't even know but john lennon had been to america and loved america new york city and he was like these people are crazy they love guns and he's just like yeah this is sexy got my finger on her trigger it's like come on that is sexy as fuck talking about a gun and the velvet handle you're like oh man i might rub one out to this song <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that do you ever um do you like a similar thing I guess with jokes where if like you have like similar concepts and you find a way to like combine them into like one longer like thread? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but that's like you you take something like a joke, like you write that joke and the other joke and then you combine it and it makes a bit. Right. But then the thing that I try to do now, I don't even know if I should say it, not going to But the thing that I try and do now is I try to do with the John Lennon and and um Tom York do which is to try to pair odds like things that don't match mm -hmm. and then try to jump back and forth between the two that's the harder thing right. to do is to actually be contradictory and not make it cohesive but yeah. then make it cohesive right yeah. that's definitely a cool artistic way to do it like yeah like when you're like doing dance choreography they're like set the steps without the music like the music yeah. is like the last thing you choose you know so it's like you have to make your own rhythm and it can go totally against what the song is going to be. But yeah. by the time you're done with the choreography or on your way to be done with the choreography, the music comes in and it fits somehow. Yeah. You know, so like that's kind of the concept. 
in a two. And like, would you say, let me ask you this. Do you think like, okay, so let's say you do a comedy set on stage, uh-huh. right? And you're thinking about it and stuff like that. If you compare it to music, would you say your comedy set is more like writing a, so- a song or would you say it's more like an album? Like, what do you think? Uh, I would definitely not say it's like an album. I would say it is closer to writing a mm, I would say it's closer to like one of those MTV unplug things. Okay. Mm. Remember those where you like they had to be in front of the audience? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And then sometimes they would just do something different. And it's more like that where it's like I got a framework, but then sometimes you're in the moment and you're like, "All right, I need to drop this and just do something else." Or sometimes you're like, "I'm just going to do a cover." And the cover is a cover of you or a cover of like someone you're listening to. Mhm. Like, honestly, I probably take more from musicians now and stuff in art than I do from comedians. Like, mm. when I first started out, everything was about, I got to learn more about comedy. I got to learn, you know, but now I'm, like, probably hands down stealing way more from musicians. That's funny because I kind of feel that way about comedians. Really? As far as, like, the um, the crowd, like, how do I want to say it? Like, not necessarily stage presence, but I guess, like, keeping the crowd engaged with oh, you. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Not like I, like playing a guitar. Obviously, that doesn't really translate exactly. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, like, the in-between, like, the songs, when you're, like, keeping the audience engaged. Because when you're in between a song, it's real easy for everyone to just check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of, in a way, be like, okay, well, what can I say to the crowd right now to still keep them with us before we go into the next song? You know what I mean? And not lose everybody like that. I mean, I the person I think that was the best at that, that I've, I mean, I've never seen him live, but my mom saw him twice and I watch his old concerts is Prince. Mm. Prince is the best at like, he would put on a show, man. Like during the pandemic, they put out his old concerts. You could watch them. You know, this dude was bringing on fucking bathtubs and, you know, get in the bath and then be talking to the audience like, do you want to see me bathe? And then people <laughs> like, ah! he's like, I can't hear you. Do you want to see me bathe? And they'd be like, yeah. And then he fucking rip his shirt off and then water. And this guy wrote all the notes, all the lines. And he Mm -hmm. was still thinking like, this isn't enough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that was because he was coming up against like, you know, Michael Jackson. He was like, I can't dance like that. Right. So I got to really be working on it. And there's like tapes of him just trying to figure out how to spin the microphone stand underneath his leg. Yeah. Like for hours of just doing this and doing this. And I remember thinking of that, of like, you know, Oh, so it even matters how I hold the microphone. So even when I go on stage, I try to think, how do I hold the microphone differently than everyone else? Do I hold it in the stand? Do I don't? Do I put my foot on it? It's all like things I'm just stealing from musicians now. Yeah, that's interesting yeah, that's though, because cool. every little tiny thing that you do on the stage, like obviously they can see it. So like even those little tiny things you don't necessarily think about do become kind of like part of your your essence on the stage, you know? Yeah. Bag of tricks. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, super cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I have you sometimes on stage because I'll be just finishing a song, and I'm like, oh yeah, you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say to you, and then you just jump out and say something. So yeah, that is really um, a cool concept to like craft like your whole stage presence. I don't even really think too much about that sometimes too. I have to. Yeah, can't be the same because I'm more of a monotone kind of guy. So if I'm doing like a long set, I can't just do monotone. Even if the jokes are good and they're laughing, it's like, this is boring. Like a song just just like this. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. you got to change up the rhythm, the melody, the tempo, go yeah, faster, go slower. Yeah. 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 100%. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting how like the different kinds of arts kind of like 
they're so different like in the actual performance but like the concepts and the ideas are still like universal in a way mm -hmm. like you were just bringing up like dancing to this i never even thought of that yeah <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean it's art it's just art and it's just so funny it's cool like because that's how we met like just being different artists in like yeah. one spot and it's like i say that to natan too like you guys were like one of the only comedians like that i actually liked because sometimes when i'm at the open mic <laughs> once somebody gets on stage i'm like here we go with the comedy or yeah. the poetry and I'm i can tell like, yeah oh, some, some, i I'm see like, people's faces they're like <laughs> you better be good man yeah <laughs> well yeah well like speaking of more comedy like how'd you know you were funny who told you were funny why'd you want to why'd you abandon magic <laughs> <laughs> and choose comedy um i didn't choose comedy i moved to new york and i've always said inappropriate things and then people would laugh and then um i was just going to comedy shows because you can go see them for free and i didn't have any money when i first came here and so i would just keep going and then i remember just thinking like well i'm pretty you know i'm funny and i could do this and then i got up and i did okay to well the first time and then I bombed for a long time after that. And then I went to one place in Essence, which is a, a black room in Brooklyn, Atlantic Avenue. And I bombed so bad, I quit for a week. And then I remember thinking like, man, I really want to do this again, even as bad as that hurt. Mm -hmm. And then I haven't stopped since then. I mean, the pandemic, but even then I was still writing jokes. Yeah. Well, so. that's how you know you really love it, right? If you mm -hmm. go through something like that and you're just like, I just got to hit it more. I just got to do it better. Right, because if you don't, if your heart's not really in it, and you go through an experience like that, you could easily yeah. just be like, you know what? I don't know if this is really for me. I don't know if my heart can handle bombing like this all all the time. But like, yeah. we were talking about Natan. He said he had just watched comedy for like a long time before he did it. So like, when you actually decided to do it, was there any like moment where you're just like, all right, now's the time for me to try? Or you were just like, eh, fuck it, I'm here. I'll just get up. Like, no, I think I had like maybe two weeks before been like, all right, I'm gonna go try it at this place because this place looks more comfortable there's a stage and i don't know i just think i was like i think i just said something really messed up at work that everyone laughed at and my boss was like you you, you should you can't talk like that you should try stand up though but don't talk like that <laughs> and then i just was like oh yeah why i'm going to these shows why don't i just go and do it and then i just did it and then i don't know just like you know i had other stuff i wanted to do like i still write and make stuff and films and all that but this was the first time I ever felt like when I when I first got on stage and I did it, it was like that aha moment where I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. This mm. is like, this is, uh, you know, I don't know how many people are religious, but this was the first time I was like, oh, shit, this is like God. This is church for me. Like uh, I just had that moment, yeah, where I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not... I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing this alone. Someone else is doing this with me. Mm, so it's no longer Alex of the past or the future. It's higher Alex and lower Alex. There's not even Alex. There's just us. <laughs> That's the thing. That's when I first started. I used to think, oh, comedy was just me. You know, me. I get on stage. I make this happen. And then the pandemic happened, and then everyone went away. And, you know, comedy's not like music. I can't sit in a room and practice alone. Mm -hmm. Right. So I need them to come, too, to make the music. Yeah. So it's just us now when no I get up. No stuffed animals, just as a little audience? Just us. Just us. And the <laughs> thoughts that are in my head that come out and get translated through them, you know what I mean? Like, they don't, these people don't know. I'm from a whole other side of the country, or if I go to England or something, then they laugh, and I'm like, 
there's no reason you should be laughing unless there just is something in all of us that is like this is funny yeah and it's like you know that's bigger than i don't know i i just believe being funny is like a religious calling it's like when you read about the prophets they were like god told me to do this something popped in your head and said i'm funny i'm funny and i'm gonna go show people that i am and it's i feel like you know prophet alex or something like that trying to prove to people i'm funny and that's some drive because like you know this city can eat you up where did you move from so i can judge you i moved from (laughs) los angeles california okay south central los angeles what yeah i'm from crenshaw and slauson okay well now i gotta ask another person from california because when i was in college and we used to ask some girls from oakland be like is it really like how it is in the movies over there it was when i was i mean i am wearing all blue for a reason uh (laughs) no i've just been i've kind of been indoctrinated into like i could never wear the color red um but i wasn't like in gangs or anything like that you know what i mean um but i did grow up technically next to the rolling 60s i'm on 58th and then that's where nipsey hustle at his store and everything and You know, he was huge. Met him one time. My brother was a big fan. Really? I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I can't cap. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, my brother was huge. Huge fan. He had all his CDs, everything. And then he passed away. That was like crazy. Like, like see someone that you know is in the neighborhood and community and then they're just gone. And you're like, wow. And then you see his death impact so many people. Like, I didn't know he was that famous because I had just seen him. Like, imagine you see someone super famous, and but you see them, like, eating now and laters. You're like, what the fuck? Like, to you, he's just a guy selling CDs that you... I used to eat next to his store at this place called Master Burger. Shout out to the big quesadilla. Um, and it's like, that's my life. So to see, like, the impact he had, you're like, holy crap. I didn't even know people from where I'm from could do that. So it almost felt like he was like a local guy to yeah. you, right? And then you, and then yeah. when everybody else was talking about it, you're like, oh, this is not just here. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty positive my dad bought the R. Kelly sex tape from Nipsey Hussle's brother. I'm so <laughs> sure that's where he got it. I don't even know why. I, sh- I, I shouldn't have said that. My <laughs> dad bought it. We just saw yeah. it. We just ended up, it just ended up in the house. But you know, my dad's older. House. He didn't know. He's like, he's I got like, to get this, man. I need proof. He brought it home, tried to show my mom. He's like, it's him. This is crazy. And yeah, I, that's how we felt. Like, that's so him. positive. It was from his brother. So it's like, imagine that's your childhood. And the next right. thing you know, you're growing up like this guy's like super famous. And the next thing you know, he's like dead. And you're like, whoa, what the hell happened in like a span of a lifetime? Yeah. So the gangs were worse when I was younger. Now it's like, you know, there's white people moving. They're building a train. So my neighborhood would now look like, remember when Barclays first started coming in? Yeah. That's what they're doing to my neighborhood now. An underground train? Yeah, there's going to be an underground train going in front of the Crenshaw, well, what was the Crenshaw Mall. It's just basically LA's a couple years behind New York. Okay. 20 so years behind New York. Everyone's behind New York, you know? How so. many hours? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> years. Three. New York, you know, Three you guys, years. everyone here operates out of breakneck speed which is why i can't well that's not true it's not why i came but it's why i stayed okay. it's just i'm a slower guy because i'm from california you know it's just like hey whatever man you know yeah. cool hippie dude yeah. and then here everyone moves that. faster mm-hmm. so i'm like i need to speed up i need to like it's motivating right that's how i always felt it is like um i just felt like it would be good for me mm-hmm. to like i could learn a lot here more than i could like any other place in the world 
Yeah, I would say it's very driving more than mo- motivating. It's like New York is like pushes you. Yeah. It's like I got to get up. Like I got, you know what I mean? Because you feel like you're kind of like behind all the time. And I've definitely felt like that here. It's just like if I stay in Brooklyn too much, I feel like I'm slow when I come to Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've lost it. Like, yeah. for real. So I, I definitely get that concept. But, yeah. You know. No, I, I feel you. I'm, I'm from Florida. So it's like not the same thing oh, yeah. as California uh, by Tampa. I so went to like, Tampa earlier this year. Oh, really? Fucking, lo- I mean, love Tampa. Wait, where'd you stay at? In Tampa. But like, but like, like you flew into the airport. Like, did you go like out or like? Dude, it had to be like five know, minutes. Five minutes by there. Okay, by so the I, I know where you're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, that's where, I, where I'm from. So it's like a slower thing. And then every time I go home and like come back, every time I get back here, I feel like a jolt of energy. Yeah. Like 100. percent Like okay, like that was nice. You know, get to relax a little bit. But now it's like, nah, you're here. Like you got to be doing shit. Yeah. Or everybody's just moving past you. That's yeah, yeah it's kind of what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you feel slow. Like it's just the weirdest thing. I don't know. New York is like its own little, I don't know, weird underground city. Even when you're driving in, like everything starts to change. The whole mood as you're like crossing the bridge to get in here, you're flying to get in here. Like everything changes. Your skin changes. Like I've definitely flown from the Caribbean or from Florida and it's like it's all like warm and you're like balmy and stuff and you start to like come into like the northeast and I actually like saw my skin getting drier. Yeah. It's like, damn, I'm home. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's called fear. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fear. When I was like, I was overseas for like two and a half months, and then I came back and I was like on the train and I was like, man, what's that smell? And I was like, oh yeah, that's fear. <laughs> <laughs> you smell pee and you're like, oh yeah, that's just you know, it's either fear or somebody marking territory. And either way, that's still fear. You know, true. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to talk to you about uh, when you went over there because I saw like all your Insta stories of like all the art and all the museums you were oh, at and, yeah. shit, and that looked amazing. Like, what was what what. Now that you're back, like, what is memory sticks out the most to you, you think, of your time over there? How much everyone stole everything from Egypt <laughs> to the point where I was like, is anything left in Egypt? Where I was like, every museum <laughs> I went to, the sarcophagus, they had, I was like, God damn, I was like, I got to go to Egypt. I don't, I just wonder if you get there and there's just a card being like, it's in Britain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's all dry here now. Um, the number one thing that stuck out to me the most, I am... To the rest of the world, I am not black. I'm American, which was very interesting because here I'm black. Mm-hmm. And then when I went there, they were like, no, you're American. And I was like, no doubt. OK, OK, I feel you. And yep. then navigating that and navigating how they feel about Americans was um, in- interesting, you know, very interesting. Um, you I guess- think that led to good comedy like that, that kind of like the feeling of like them not knowing or like them like their perception of america versus you just coming in like trying to do your thing and like kind of that push and pull i mean you know when you I mean? tell them you're american like one time i was doing a show it's called a gong show where it's like you have to be funny or you get kicked off stage <laughs> i mean i told them i was american like i must have been 15 seconds and i got booed off stage whoa yeah and that was exhilarating to be like you know yeah and then after that i would tell people i'm american and sometimes they would boo and then i would just dip into the american character of like you know I wish I had a gun right now because I shoot the shit out of all of you. Yeah, <laughs> and they kind of like that. They they like, oh yes, that's an American. They like to see you double down. <laughs> yeah, because they like to see Americans be what they can't be. Like mm. you know, the difference between us and other countries is, um, you know, Americans we say we're number one, mm-hmm. and we all know that's not true. What? It's. I mean, <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what. This is this is this is what I would say, like factually in terms of like health or whatever. Those things yeah. were not. It's not true. 
But what makes us difference, different is we say we're number one. And then the rest of the world just goes, no, you're not. And it's like, well, why don't you say you're number one? And they go, well, because we don't believe in ourselves that much. So what makes Americans number one is we believe we are number one and we can be number one. <laughs> so the, it's the confidence. It's the confidence. It's just a blind confidence. Like, how else would you get to the moon? He's like, I bet you I could go. Unless you're American, you go, I bet you I can get up there. He's like, no, you can't. Russia's like, no, you can't get up there. You know? <laughs> and we're like, yeah, we can. It's like, okay. <laughs> and then we Prove did it. it. And then we did it. It's always interesting for me, like, seeing that, like, kind of, like, American or anti kind of American perception. Because it's like, what did they do on stage? You said you're American. And they're yeah. like, boo, I'm going to videotape this on my American Instagram while I'm at it. Like, Oh, that yeah. confuses me. You're on YouTube right now telling me you hate Americans. You have to call them out on it. Like, started here. You know, you have to almost... Because in a way, you have to understand their... I mean, you... I was there long enough. I began to understand the prejudice where they go, you're blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, let's be honest. You guys are wearing Steph Curry jerseys. One of the guys that was booing me in the audience, I was like, nigga, you were wearing a New York Yankees cap. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's chill for a second. Because capitalism, we bought you and we own you. Let's not pretend like, you know, you don't belong to us. And then on another level, like a deeper whatever level, you have to understand, like, technically we are native americans and this is the attitude that europe has had forever so when they came here a long time ago and saw you know real native americans this is the same attitude where they go like oh you're lesser than you're stupid you're uncultured they haven't changed that attitude even though we're white black asian they go no 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 you're a stupid native american and this is the attitude that they will have forever and you have to go like oh i know this game i've I've seen Pocahontas. All right, whatever. I can beat this level. Yeah, yeah. It's really, yeah. When you go to Africa, like, they'll call us brother and sister. They'll be like, they'll say to me, if Dan and I are standing, we're both from the same country, they'll be like, your brother, your brother just stopped here the other day. And I'll be like, what? And they'll mm -hmm. be like, you know the guy, the guy in the blue t-shirt. He stopped here the other day. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> we're all, like, they see that as, like, kin. Like, my mom went to Africa. Yeah. And my, my father's from there. So she went there to teach and blah, blah, blah. But his family called her a white woman. She was a white woman to them because white is like American. Like yeah. you're, you're not like, just because we look alike, it doesn't mean like we're the same thing. You, yeah. you, you're from some other country. And so like a blonde or a red haired white person could be standing next to my mom. One's from Florida, one's from New York. And they'll be like, oh yeah, you two sisters. Um, go. They'll, they'll call you sisters. And yeah. they'll be like, it's so different when you actually get here. You know what I'm saying? Because in America, everybody tells you what you are. Yeah. Especially in New York, which is the oddest thing because it's supposed to be so liberal. But to me, New York is kind of like the one of the most racist states ever, in yeah. my opinion, because you always need to know what you are. Yeah. There's a Jewish neighborhood. There's an Italian neighborhood. There's a Caribbean neighborhood. There's a parade. There's a day. And it's just like constant, constant, constant. But when you go to like let's say like other states other countries you're just Guyanese or you're just Jamaican and it doesn't yeah. really like break apart that way like it does here so it's always interesting yeah I think America is much more like you are this you're that you're this and then eventually you kind of branch out and you leave and then you just start breaking down the like you know I'm not even any of these things I'm not you know American I'm not uh black white I'm not a manic depressive you know what I mean? I'm not even these thoughts that I'm thinking, you know? I mean, well, that might be the Buddhism in me. I'm super heavy into Buddhism. So you start breaking it down and start going like, I'm not, you know, they have that one of those exercises where you sit there and you kind of talk about like, I'm not my arms and not my legs and not my, 
nervous system, I'm not my eyes, you know, and all these things. And you try and get to that point. And then eventually you get to that, you know, the thoughts where you go, I'm not even my thoughts. And you go, so what am I? And then you just kind of left with like, you know. I am comedy. That's what you should say. I am, I am <laughs> consciousness. I have to ask, you don't have to really talk about this if you don't want to. What is your experience with psychedelic drugs? Because some of the things you're saying, I'm like, these are thoughts that I've had like, I've taken acid. Last yeah. time I took acid was in Spain at the Dali Museum. <laughs> oh shit, that sounds crazy. Um, yeah, that was like I'm not gonna lie to you. It was uh, I understood everything. <laughs> right, right. I was talking to the Tan. I was showing him like, you gotta see this. You don't even understand. You gotta go all the way across the room to see what he's doing. And they didn't get it until I started breaking it down. Because when you know you're you're like, this is not a this is a movie. Right, right, right. Um, I've taken them. Uh, it depends. Like, you know, technically these drugs are supposed to be used to try to get closer to God or consciousness or oneness. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not going to lie. I have abused them for sometimes higher altered states to just go to a Dali museum and really try and be there. Um, but I've taken mushrooms and all that stuff. And uh, But I usually when I take them, I go to museums because I go to museums anyway. But they make it much more enjoyable. Like I can really sit there for hours and just look at some. I can sit there so long that people will start gathering around me and be like, "What is he looking at? <laughs> is he part of the exhibit?" They yeah. do. They really like if you if you get five people to look at anything, you could look at a Chase Bank, and I guarantee you, people will be like, "What's in that Chase Bank?" Mm-hmm. That's so true. Oh yeah, monkey see, monkey do, man. Mm-hmm. To the max. That's a good point, though. Last time I, I went to the Met, I was on shrooms, and I'm just like, I've spent. I I didn't even realize how much time I spent in there. Yep. Especially because that place is so damn big. Like, so you can get completely lost in there. And next thing you know, the sun's down. I'm like, oh. Yep. I have, I've only seen half of this. Yep. <laughs> There's so much more to see. But, yeah, no, I was just wondering that because, like, some of the things that you were saying, it's like, I've, I've read into Buddhism and shit and all that. But, like, some yeah. of the things that I've read, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know this is to be true because I've experienced this. And I've thought these already before I read it from things like that. You know what I mean? I think the drugs are, Frank Ocean said it best. Uh, rolling marijuana that's a cheap vacation the drugs are a cheap way into what is the nirvana or whatever it is you know what i mean it's like we can all get high and then we go up and then we go you know life is free and you know i can experience all these things and you come back down and you go i need more drugs to get up that high again yeah but the buddhism and all that stuff teaches like you know well it's really in you it's Mm -hmm. already there the drugs are just like showing you what's behind you know, because you don't even have to take drugs. It could be anything. It could be sex. It could be buying. I'm, Lord, I love to buy shit. And I get that same high, you know. And then it's like, that's a doorway into show, the endorphins. You know what I mean? Right. But it's really this state beyond that, that we, you know, we as people, or I shouldn't say we as people. I'm going to go I. <laughs> I. Who are you, though? Exactly. You know, I materially know the world. It's very difficult i'm trying to retrain my brain now as you see with all this dada is shit and all that stuff and alkaline water <laughs> i'm trying to retrain myself to not know that so much of the material worlds you know and um yeah i think we're just you know we're we got lost along the way from what was the intuitive yeah absolutely know? and now we're just so much more in the logical and thinking you know like like, let's say you know how to get to Uptown. I know so many people that will just go on their phone and put it into Google Maps. 
to the point where it's like, well, then you don't know how to get uptown. Google Maps does Mm -hmm. or Siri does. Mm -hmm. And um, that got me thinking like that's why I like uh, that. uh, Was it Paranoid Android Mm -hmm. is because of that. The album, I think the name is OK Computer. Yeah. And I've been thinking like, you know, that comes from that book. um, The hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy Mm -hmm. but the line okay computer is when the president takes over the ship like he he stops using the computer and he says okay computer you know give me back control and that's kind of like how i feel now in life where where we're like okay siri and how many people's homes i walk into and go you know okay uh, alexa and Mm. that's just alexa all these things are an extension of the logical mind and eventually you want something and alexa's like i can't i don't know how to do that and then you go, okay. And then you got to go back and go, okay, let me go back into what is my mind, you know. Does this make any sense? Yeah. I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. No, 100%. And I want to ask, like, do you think, like, those, like, psychedelics or your perception, um, your religious perception, you know, I don't know if you're, like, really, you said you were kind of into Buddhism, but not super heavy, right? Like, you don't have to you know, meditate a certain amount of times a day or whatever. But do you think that those kind of perceptions make you really connect to what's funny about life about yourself you know about not holding on to things too much or taking things too seriously do you think that that do you feel like that perception helps with what you write and what you present as an artist it does if i had to say honestly it probably hurts more than anything really oh my god to be more conscious in comedy oh my god like you know comedy is this is just maybe me maybe i shouldn't talk like this but comedy is the idea is levity and to make people laugh and sometimes you can get a little bogged down in the i think i see what i'm trying to make people laugh but i'm also trying to make them think i'm also trying to make them feel mm-hmm. and it's just more things that are holding you because now you're going i'm the impetus and then on top of that you see someone get up there and they just go like you know i fired out my ass the other day and everyone was like yeah and then you're like, why am I even trying? You know? Well, I think that, that also goes back to like we were saying, like um, with comedy, it's so, it's so important, like what the crowd is like, right? Because like you, you have to do it in front of people. You can't do yeah. it by yourself. So it's, it goes through the perception of the crowd, right? And I feel like some people might know what you're saying if you do these deeper things, but there's the deeper you get, less and less people are going to know exactly what you're talking about. So you're going to lose people on the way. Versus a simpler thing, more people are going to understand what it is and be like, oh, I know why that's funny. Yeah. Which right? is... You know, honestly, why I'm like heavily studying Nirvana, right? Like probably for the last two years studying Nirvana because I'm like, how did he do it? How did he dumb it down enough? And I think honestly, that's not not going to work. It's probably why he killed himself. He was just like, they're too stupid to get it. And there is a, there's an ego in that though, where you're just like, you know, there's this wall separating you from them and you go like, I know some people get it, but it's like, they all can't get it. And it just like, it makes you angry. It makes you resentful where you go, they're not getting it. Yeah, and just, like, seeing him from, like, the beginning towards the end, in my opinion, he was really over it. And, yeah, he did kind of, I if I were to say he felt that way, yes, he did. Because he was, like, he always seemed like he was kind of over it, especially towards the end. Yeah. Like, and you can kind of see it in the um the Unplugged set, too, where he's just like, aren't we supposed to be some big, rich rock band? Yeah. He's like, where's my, I forgot what he, what he didn't have, I don't know, a stool or something like that. And he's like, aren't we supposed to be huge? And, like, his whole vibe was like that so i could say definitely he's one of those artists that felt like yeah it was just like too i think he he, he i think he overanalyzed a lot too much 
in terms of like melody making and things like yeah. that and i feel like he could kind of let things go a little bit sometimes rest in peace kurt sometimes i refer to him as like a wet blanket and i feel closer to a wet blanket a lot <laughs> a lot of times i go like you know why am i even doing this dada shit like what is this like i should just be doing you know the other day I, you know i had diarrhea or something like you know his job is to make people laugh not to do these other things but it's like as the buddhists would say this is your karma this is what you've got to deal with and um you know not to be too attached to the outcome like oh yeah you laughed but did you did you feel something or you know mm -hmm. just go like you know whatever this is not even real anyway it's all made up have you ever just uh had an experience and just told a story on stage as comedy like it's just a funny story and that's that's yeah a bit. about the why i believe in god yeah short long story short i grew up in south central i saved up like 50 60 dollars from not eating lunch and then I was walking down the street and I was coming back home from, I went to a, a Catholic school, shout out to St. Bernard's, and I was coming back home and I had the money in my pocket. And I remember looking down at the end of the block and I see like five or six dudes that looked like they were all Kevin Garnett. And I was walking towards them and I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to get robbed. And I was like, all right, whatever I do, just don't break your glasses. And I get to the end of the block and they all circle around me. And then one of them was like, you know what, man, leave him alone. And they're like, look at his keychain. And I had a keychain around my neck that said, I love Jesus. And I remember they were like, just let him go. And then they let me go. And I remember like, I believe you from now on, God. Because thugs believe in you. I've never met a thug that's an atheist. You know what I mean? Even if they shoot someone, they'd be like, thank God I got him first. You know what I mean? It's like, ever since then, I was like devout. I even went to Catholic school and I was like, man, this is bullshit. And then after that, it's like, that's all I needed. So I tell that story on stage sometimes and people laugh, but. It's just not, it's not enough. Like, I think you're, you say you're a dancer. What's that lady? Martha Graham. Mm -hmm. So I, I studied her a little bit too. Yeah. And um, she talks about like, you know, everything is deliberate. Like even if the dancer points a foot and it seems accidental, it's not, it's deliberate. So I'm like, I, I'm trying to figure out how to be more deliberate, but make it look accidental. Yeah. I got close in Paris. I got close. Cause people are like, did you make that up? And I just go, yeah, yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. As far as you know, it was the first time for you. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so like your comedy can be like a a choreography, like a painting too. Like, you know, you can just you can make your own world, like is what I'm saying, like everything is deliberate. So it's yeah. like you are your own grand architect in a way. So it's like your your presentation on stage is like your own little world that you're like letting people into. And that's kind of interesting in me. Michelangelo style. When I remember when I went to the Met, they had that Michelangelo exhibit. It was like a couple of years ago, and then it said everything that is contained in life, or that it that could be shown in life, is contained in a block of marble, and it's just up to the artist to etch it out. And I right. write stuff like that down, and I go like, oh. I mean, that's why I go to the museum because somebody's gonna say something that's like, oh yeah, that's true. I mean, this motherfucker's working with rocks, <laughs> and people are still going to go see those. I mean, it's just a big rock. Yeah. It was a big rock, and he was like, "Nah, there's a dude in there. You know, his, his name is David. He's got a big ass right hand, and he's got a slingshot in the other hand. And somebody's looking at it like, that's just a rock. Shut up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's another thing that's so interesting about art. I feel like artists, like throughout history, probably you have to have kind of the same, like a similar mindset to want to be doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like, 
I'm trying to think of an example. It's like you don't have to necessarily be at the same time in the same place to understand why something is so good and why something is so powerful as far as art is concerned. Mm -hmm. Like I was thinking about this. So I've um, we talked about this when we did a, a Pink Floyd podcast. I put uh, Dark Side of the Moon up there with like the greatest pieces of art that's ever been yeah, created. Yeah, I would do that too, yeah. And I think about it sometimes and I'm like, we you know, that's... No I think next year it's about to be 50 years old. Still oh, on the wow. charts. Yeah, and that means, you know, by the time we're older, everybody that's going to be involved with that album will have passed away. But we'll still all be listening to that and we'll still understand what it means. Pink so elephants. I feel like when you go to see something like that, it, the idea and the concept is still the same thing. It's just, you know, hundreds of years later and we're experiencing things differently because we have all this technology. We might think of something. We might be less, you know, connected like we were saying before. But that idea of like the art exists, we have to make it come to life. Like I feel like that's constant throughout history of human beings but you know the i guess the cynicist or whatever the kurt cobain in me would say you know well, we're we're living in a very non creative world right now we're living in a world of uh copycats like the tiktok the biggest app is just people copying each other and what happens when you produce a generation of people that are incapable of making new new things or surprises well you know I mean? some could say that in that would actually make it easier for someone that is doing something new to be noticed no because if everybody's copying everything and then somebody comes out with something that's completely different be like whoa where did this come from but we just at the beginning of this podcast we're talking about how people want to hypnotize themselves into liking what everyone else likes true and for you to see something new that means it would take time for you to actually be adjusted to it and a lot of people are more comfortable with being like, no, I know what it is and I know what they like and they like and they like, like, you know, and, you know, it's like um, we live in New York City, but look at the uniform in New York City, man. You go to Williamsburg, look, how, look at how many people's feet and they wear Stan Smith Adidas. And it's like, you don't even know who Stan Smith is, but you wear that shoe because you see him wearing that shoe. And you like this video because somebody else likes this video or you like this song because someone else likes this song. Well, let's let's bring Kurt back into it. Because some, some would say that the reason that Nirvana became so successful is because of how different it was than what was happening at the time with the hair metal shit. Yes. So when people heard Nirvana, and you know, Kurt obviously wasn't like, I'm going to be the biggest rock star in the world. Right. But when he put, well, never mind specifically is what broke them, obviously. Yeah. So when people heard that, they're like, whoa, this is completely different. I love this. And then that became the thing that everybody was trying to copy and everybody was trying to hypnotize themselves into liking, if not, they actually liked. You know what I'm saying? So here's what I would say. Yeah. And this is, and I like this. This is good. So imagine if Kurt had gotten famous in Bleach. Mm -hmm. We never would have got Nirvana. Like we never would have got Nevermind. Right. Because now we're at the point where it's like, if you're young enough and you're cool enough, you, you got the look, they'll push you. Mm -hmm. And then whatever that song is that you, you, you do or whatever it is, that's what they want. This is what you're going to have to put out and keep making. So it's like, and then not, not even just that, like with social media, it's almost like, you know, impossible to, I don't want to say like, there was a period of struggle where they were like, he did a, a, a bleach and then he came to Nevermind and he was like, there was a period of frustration where he's like, this isn't right. It's not good enough. It's not simple enough. You know, this, I, I need to find the right influences or whatever, you know, like he liked like what the Pixies and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, I forget the other people he took some other songs from. Gas uh, Vaseline's too. So. There's something like the young or something. One of those songs, like Come As You Are was supposed to be like the single, but he didn't want to because he's like, I stole this whole melody from this other band. And they knew it and then they just let it go. 
but now we live in an age of like you know if they had done this certain song that one song would have blew up and then like i think like if i'm thinking of bleached about a girl that song is a great song mm-hmm. that one song could have gone viral and that would have changed his whole entire life we would have never had it's like the time it takes to become a great artist you can't cheat it doesn't matter yeah. if social media like how big you are you just can't cheat it but the bigger you become the less of that time you need to be hidden and be refined. You should not be having people come up to you your first two years or whatever being like, you're amazing. I love your one joke. And you're like, well, I can't get good anymore at this because yeah. the show is here. Like, I'm the show now. Yeah. And it's you know so funny I mean? that we're talking about him because that's exactly how he played it out. You know, um, I feel like when he started, the environment was more um, conducive to starting something new, being yeah. very different, breaking through like the mold and stuff like that. And that was more encouraged like in the 90s and stuff. Now it's like, well, you got to make a hit. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So you have to do something exactly what somebody else did. And they did get so big that by the time they came out with In Utero, he wanted to just throw everything away. He's like screaming on the microphone. Everything's yeah, yeah, badly yeah. produced. I like, love In Utero. You know what I mean? And yeah, and I love that album. And we did as um, kids too, because it was yeah. like, it was so different because he was right. Um, all the jocks were listening to him. They used to beat him up in school and now they love him. They love his style of music. And he basically was that person back then. Then they hated him. And now they packaged him into something for everybody to like he's a style yeah because the record industry kind of did that to him too like nevermind is not really i wouldn't really say it's who nirvana is at their no i wouldn't either you know what i mean it's it's who they got packaged as and pushed Mm -hmm. as and then after he was sick of it and was like i want to kind of revert back to myself and it was almost like the the backlash from him reverting to who he exactly was with songs like rape me and stuff like yeah. that did make him want to just delete milk like, it you know yeah milk yeah. is probably milk it and i think it's radio shifter unit something like that it's like radio friendly shifter unit but milk mm. it those are the ones where like i go back and i really read the lyrics like because i didn't i didn't start reading the lyrics till like two years ago but when i heard the words i thought they said very different things like i am my own parasite uh i my milk is my shit my shit is my milk her her, and it's like talking about like we can share our endorphins and i just remember thinking like the words to the song are like doll steak and then test meat but what i heard was uh uh was like a don't stay or like and then waste me Mm. like i thought that's what he was saying and so many of his songs that he he does that on and i think like the first one and nevermind is the big example of the hello hello hollow Mm -hmm. and then at the end when he's like a denial but really when he sings it it sounds like i can die now like this is just me hearing it not even like doing any analysis and then i had to go back and go he says a denial i was like oh shit really (laughs) And I became obsessed with that. I was like, how do I do that in comedy? Mm. Where they hear something, but that's not really what I'm saying. Wow. And then he has another song. I think it is Radio Friendly Shifter. I can't remember exactly, but it's like talking about, he goes like, what is wrong with me? But when he sings it, it sounds like, uh, it sounds to me like he's saying, I'm at war with me. Interesting. And then he goes like, you know, what do I think? I thought he was saying, what do I think of things? Mm-hmm. But he's really saying, what do I think I think? I love that song. Mm. I do too. That song for me is like the one, like, 
it's perfect where it's like, yeah, I'm this guy that is at war with himself. And he talks about like, you know, the afterbirth of a nation. And it's just like, when I hear that, I go like, how do you do this? But how do I do this in comedy? Wow, Alex, I really think you can do it. You're like a whisperer. How do you hear these things? Like when we were coming in. Mental illness. Uh, one of the, <laughs> man, oh man, shout out to mental illness. Because like one of the studio managers when we were coming in introduced himself. And Alex thought he heard a different name. And the guy, and the, he thought the guy said a name that started with S. And the guy's name does start with S. Like, you know, and he was like, I could oh, have yeah. said another name to you. I'm not sure. But and I was joking. I was like, you're well, we got a whisperer here in the studio or whatever. But yeah, I feel like, yeah, you're hitting comedy on a totally different level. And I think that's definitely a gate that you've opened or door, William S. Burroughs. Like, I, I think it's definitely something that you can really tap into because it's like it seems like it's becoming you. I'm trying. And that's probably the problem is that I'm trying. I remember when I first started comedy, I was out in front of this place in Lower East Side and I was sitting outside and this homeless guy came up to me and I was like, he's like, what are you you doing, man? I was like, oh, I'm about to go on stage and, you know, do jokes and stuff. And he was like, all right, man, be funny. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try. He's like, no, man, do that shit. (laughs) And he just stood there for like eight seconds. And he walked away. And I never forgot that. <laughs> where it's like, whatever that was, he transferred it to me. Where it's like, you got to stop trying. You just got to do it. Mm-hmm. Like Yoda said. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what happened to that guy. I think about him all the time where I'm like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Moments like that are burned into my head. Yeah. And I don't know why. Well, those are some good. That's a good moment. And especially if he catches four. Right? Yeah. Says. But when it happens, you feel like, do other people have this? And like, do they have this need to express it, or you like, you kind of feel like that that Kurt Cobain is where you go like, am I alone in this? You know what I mean? Am I just destined to talk to homeless people and they're the only ones that get it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like seriously, you're like, I just don't. That's the kind of uh, maybe the doubt where you're just like, I don't know. Do do they get it? Are they ever gonna get it? Like even if I operate on this level, or is this just for me? This is just what I do. This is just the way I operate. I can't go any other way about it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, well, if I were to look at you and what you said to us, I would definitely say that you're definitely doing it um, as opposed to trying because your breaking moment is when you got booed that week and you stopped for like a week. And that's some drive, right? Because like the city can eat you up, right? And there's so many different actors that are waitresses and they really get into being the perfect waitress like you go you get hired at a job and somebody's been on like a couple of shows but they're like the most asshole waitress because they know every single thing about the restaurant and they dedicate and they work in there 40 50 hours and in my head it's like you're not even an actor man you're a professional waitress or, yeah you know what i'm saying so the city it can break you like where you get booed and you're just like i'm just gonna go wait tables because i can make like three four hundred dollars in a day and pay for my rent and just go chill go on vacation whenever i want do comedy whenever i feel like it you can totally be that person but for you to be like i'm just gonna stop for a week and like nah fuck this i really have to do this like i feel you've already passed that threshold so anything's like you are it you're in it already yeah it's true like, yeah i don't have another option no no yeah i don't think so i don't think you're let you won't i don't think i am let my yourself. own parasite yeah. <laughs> i understand kurt, kurt. I could, sorry yeah, but no, no, I don't think you'll let yourself, like, have another option in a way. And that's a good thing, is what I'm saying. It's just, like, you know, the way you're doing it, <clears throat> sometimes you kind of look around and you kind of go, anybody else? And then even other comedians are going, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it works. Like, I think you guys have seen me do characters and stuff. 
I think a conspiracy Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. At the end, yeah. But I mean, you know, how many other comedians have you ever seen do that? And the, the the look you guys give me is fine. But imagine, you know, you got to bring this up in front of them. And they're kind of looking like, and I'm telling you, everyone I knew, everyone I knew, even my closest friends were like, what the fuck is he doing? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, yeah, what the fuck am I doing? And then you break through the other side of that. Yeah. But it's just as like, you know, when you break through the side of that and then you, whatever this shit is now that I'm doing, I'm just like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. But it's like, I can't go back. Right. Something, something bigger picked you for it. Like, you know, I was thinking about that picture where the black and white from like the 40s and everybody's doing the Nazi salute. And then yeah. you got that one guy who's like, I'm like, I'm that guy. Like, you yeah. know, and I, always, I want to be that guy. Like you can feel his spirit and you're just like, I totally want to be him. So there are thousands of people who are telling you what the right way is. And some things picked you to say, this is stupid. Like, yeah. you know, or this is great, you know. And you could just totally immerse yourself in that, and I think it's okay. It's lonely, though. <laughs> I feel like that that part of the journey is like, I feel like it's something that you're going to appreciate more as it goes on, because it's like, you might, like this, what you're saying of like the doubt of like, I don't know, like, like does anybody know what the hell I'm talking about? But as you go through it, you might figure it out a little more, and then re- you wouldn't have been able to get to that point if you weren't at this point now. You know what I mean? As time goes on, it's something might click, be like, oh, okay, well, this is... This is something that I should be doing, and but the the every, all these feelings that you're talking about, yeah, lead you to that point. You know what I mean? Been negative, enjoy. <laughs> you can't own depression. So you around? Does it make more sense now? Yeah. Does it? You well, know it what made I mean? sense then. But you know what I mean now. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Like this stuff pops into my head where I go like, does it? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. That's why I'm like sometimes I'm like, am I crazy? Or does like the words makes like I wrote this last night, but it makes more sense now. Yeah. Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay, right. That's what I feel like my life is like, just me going, Am I crazy? Am I crazy? Mm-hmm. And then everyone's kinda like, Yeah, but we like it. You know what I mean? It's like, all right then, all right, because my biggest fear is probably like being crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's my biggest fear is like Am I insane? Well what is crazy though? Uh-huh. Like what is normal is really the question. Because everybody that you talk to, their normal is different. You know what I mean? So everybody could be crazy to this person, but to somebody else, it's a completely normal thing. I'll you know explain. What I mean? My grandmother has schizophrenia, has schizophrenia. And watching the way people interact with her versus the way I used to interact with her was like so different. And it's like they would come to her like she's crazy. And I would come to her like this is fun. Like this is, and I've grown up around her. And I just always embraced that side of being like, you know, I know the alternative is they zonk her out with medicine. Mm-hmm. And that's quote unquote healthy and normal. And it, she's not in pain. But then I know the other side of her, which is like, you know, when she's talking to other people and, you know, she's talking about she knows Julius Caesar, she's laughing, having a great time. I'm having a great time. You know what I mean? And then I'm just kind of like trapped in that mindset of like seeing that from when I'm young of being like, yo, maybe I'm crazy. You know what I mean? But this is like what I got is the crazy. I mean, I think there are crazy people who are very talented. Like, I'm for sure Kendrick Lamar is insane like when he's like does the different voices on the track i was like that's what schizophrenia sounds like yeah well once you mm. bring in the different voice it's definitely some yeah. other thing inside of you and stuff like that and i kind of welcome that you know what i'm saying sometimes i'm kind of afraid of giving myself completely over to the art because it's like i don't want to go crazy yeah like you know but then there's times when i'm like damn i should just like really let go and just let it get crazy you know so i guess you holding on to too much or over analyzing or thinking too much about it is probably what's just giving you a little bit of a stop and start and stuff like that but 
totally immerse yourself in it. Like I'm telling you this and I'm telling myself this at the same time, you know what I mean? So whatever was like, you know, just guiding us right now through this interview is just probably just like encouraging all three of us, you know what I'm saying? To just go for it. Cause there can always be, okay, well, I think I'm too crazy. I don't like this. I don't like, like that, but you're constantly booking, you're getting more shows. And it's not like, you know, you're some industry plant where it's like, yeah, of course I'm getting booked. It's like, you're going step by step and meeting different audiences and they're getting into it. It's, it's better to have that feeling of like, is this right? But you know, you're constantly progressing. You can have the contrast to it. Like there's a family guy episode where Peter and Lois are really high and they're like singing on the mic and to themselves, they sound beautiful. Yeah. Right. But then they cut to the audience and they're like, (laughs) (laughs) like, we don't want that. Like, you know what I'm saying? But like, as if, if things are progressing, I think that, that then it's okay. But that's what getting better at comedy is, is you being on the mic being like, "Ah," and everybody's like, what the fuck is that? And you go, okay, I should reel this back in a little bit until I get to that next uh, I mean, you know, I th- it's hard for everyone to remember, but I remember when I first started doing stand up, and then even when I started doing the characters and stuff and all that, it was like people were like, "This is insane." And then now I go up, people are like, "This is my favorite thing I've ever seen in my life." And I go, "Well, yeah, you should have been here when I first started because it was <laughs> really hard." And you know, I even got other people to start wanting to do characters, and it's like, you know, they go and they do, it and they go, "This is hard." And I go, "Yeah, which I made it look easy, but it was fucking hard." I took clown class for like four years. Is that doing the characters, is that like, is that freeing in a way? Because it's like, it's not, you're not there as you, you're there as the character. So anything, any kind of crazy thing you want to do at the time, you'd be like, oh, that's the character. That's not me. Like, does that feel like you open up more to be able to do whatever the hell you want to do without kind of like that, am I crazy kind of thing? You know what I mean? It was because then I can fully indulge it and I used to dress up. But then after the pandemic, I just was like, I don't need the clothes anymore. So now I just do mm. it on stage. That's cool. And now it just comes out. Like I can do Conspiracy Chris just as, you know, like, you know, while walking around, which is not great. But like, you know, on stage, I don't have to do this whole like, and now I go into Conspiracy Chris, I slip in. It just like, it just comes out now. And like, you know, all these other people. And I'm like, oh, this is, um, this is good. But to really push it harder, I need to know how to like, say a line like do a joke and then call back to the character conspiracy chris like this idea of like you know i just kind of play with this idea of like you know whatever i'm saying now you can't really hear me now because there's an imbalance in comedy you know like there's you the listener and there's me the performer so you guys are laughing at what i'm saying and i'm laughing at what's coming next so we're never really on the same wavelength. Okay. So sometimes I got to throw you a line, you laugh, and then I got to go back and pick up something you might have missed and go, all right, now you got to remember that line? Like, okay, this is what, like this. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's like my mind works in different times. Does that make sense? This is why I say time isn't real. Mm-hmm. You know, time was invented by the white man to make black people late. <laughs> so you know that. <laughs> But that's when I'm like, I'm I'm trying to operate on all these levels. And I'm like, what? I don't know if this is good or bad or I'm juggling stuff. I'm like, but that's what I'm working with now in comedy. Yeah. Would it be weird if I asked you what would Conspiracy Chris tell you? <laughs> he would tell me it's all fake anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a reason they call it Tinseltown. Mm-hmm. It's because it's all made up. 
it all went away during the pandemic. China's not That's, real. America's not real. All that was left when it happened was there was just one breath. That's, That's so what true. He would say. That's true though. I mean, I I think about that a lot now, especially now that the city is like back cuz I was um quote unquote an essential worker during that time, so mm -hmm. I was like still going to the office and shit and like I would just be there and just see I would be I literally went to Times Square to see what it was like and there was yeah. nobody fucking there. Like I felt like I was in like I am legend or some shit. And then, you know, I've seen that it was like that for a while. Yeah. And then now everything's back and I'm seeing everybody's still back in the hustle bustle, whatever. And I'm like, I already saw the curtain pulled back. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. see how fake this all is, how it can just go away at any time. I've seen behind the curtain. That's my biggest thing is like uh, Wizard of Oz. Like I can't go back. But a lot of people, it's like the Matrix, man. It's like I took the red pill. I can't go back. But a lot of people are like, no, give me that blue pill. <laughs> give mm -hmm. it back to me. Like, I, I used to date a girl that lived around Times Square around that time, and I used to walk down there with her dog, and it would just be me and homeless people and the boarded up stuff. But the weirdest thing I kept noticing was, why are the lights still on? Yeah. Mm. Like, could you even turn them off? <laughs> no one's here. It's like when I go to the bank, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, why is the lights on in here? Or like the air conditioning. It's like, they're not even trying to keep me warm. They're trying to keep the money warm. It's like weird. It's like I have those thoughts now, like, and I can't. I can't slip back in. It's like, you know what I mean? A lot of comedians, we talk about like how we used to do comedy before the pandemic and doing it now. You're like, you're like in this invisible clown suit trying to claw your way out. But you want to go back because you're like, comedy was like, I knew what it was back then. Mm -hmm. Like, make them laugh. But now you're like, this isn't me. I kind of just, it got stripped away from me. You know what I mean? And when it, life took it away from you, you were like, well, who am I? You're like, I'm not even a comedian, you know? Yeah. That's just like what I put on to be like when people go, well, who are you? I go, oh, I'm a comedian. And they go, okay, you're interesting. You know, like. Yeah. Do you feel a difference in the crowds or like the people that come to see stand up since the pandemic or? No, I wouldn't say. I mean, maybe. I mean, like, you know, I could talk a little bit more about like maybe the spirituality thing and people were more receptive. Like when I was in Barcelona, some girl was like, why were you talking about that? And I know what she wanted, but I wasn't going to give her what she wanted. And it was like, you know, that's for you to figure out. It's not for me to tell you so you can run and flirt with this or something. It's like, it's your life. You figure it out. You know, I, I just, it is. What do you want me to say? You know, why do you care why I, it happened? That's the, probably the hardest part about stand-up is when people, they want to know why for everything. That's so interesting. I could never think of asking a comedian, like, well, why did you say? I just think, like, he's just funny and he wants to make us laugh. But I've, I've never really gone that deep to be like, well, why did he say that? Or, or to actually break the fourth wall. So that's really interesting that some of your uh, audience members do that. Yeah, they want to know more. And it's almost like a... And this is the thing, too. This is why I keep saying I get it when Kurt was feeling. It's, like, it's almost like the more they like you, the more you want to push them off of you. Because then there's like this imposter syndrome because it's like when they get you, you go, oh, my God, am I am I too too dumb now? Like, am I have I been figured out? And then you kind of hate and I don't know. It's like a back and forth. Like you hate yourself where you go like, oh, what am I? Did I dumb it down too much? Now they get me and you go like, oh, get away from me. But I think it has more to do with, you know, not liking yourself than it does with anything else of being like. You know, you just don't want to feel like a fraud. Yeah. Mm. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, that sometimes that's just perception, and sometimes it just really is what it is. It's just like you battling who you present yourself as. Um, would you ever do a comedy album? Would you ever put it on wax? Yeah, I would, but it'd have to be done a different way. Like, I'd either have to do it... One I thought of would be do it at the Met or at MoMA. And then that way, if they don't laugh, I'm like, that's a part of the art. Um, or the other one would be I would really like to do is do it at a prison. Whoa. Johnny Cash style. Johnny Cash style. Richard Pryor did one at L.A. County Jail, too. But uh, he did some weird stuff there. But I liked, I like. I always thought that was a good idea is to go to a prison and try and perform it. Yeah. Just get on stage right away and I'd be like, all right, by sh- round of applause, how many of you guys will rate me? <laughs> They'd be like, whoa. <laughs> and, on that, <laughs> and on that note, um, we got we to gotta wrap it up. But I want to say, is there anything else? Uh, this will be out Wednesday. So if there's oh. anything else you're trying to promote or plug while we're here, this is the time. So the Sad Money Podcast, Money Never Weeps. It's me and Steven Sahelnik, um, Heartbreakers with Natan Battleoff. And then also, we I also be Wednesday. I'm doing a half hour at the nest at 9 30 and that's going to be called Weltschmerz. it's a german word called world pain um my name is alex Payne. p-a-y-n-e actually it should be i should spell it that way and i'll just be doing a bunch of weird jokes and thoughts because i'm trying to throw stuff at a board and see what comes out the other end and um go see live at the end this friday the 18th or come this wednesday or you know you'll see me eventually yeah. yeah. All right. You heard it here first. Yeah. Go check out all the things, <laughs> all the stuff. All Thanks right for up. being here. We appreciate you. Uh, this has been Music Maniacs with Side After Dark featuring Alexander Payne. Yeah. yeah. And we'll see you soon. Peace.